0: today on Ag News
1: Daily. At one point, uh, 10 years ago, wheat farmers would get $3 in federal funds from export market development for every dollar they put in. Now it's less than $2.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, May 16th. My name is Delaney Howell, and I'm one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast. Joining me is my other host Mike Pearson who is joining us remotely from an airport is that right Mike
2: That is correct I am sitting in terminal B of the, uh, of uh, where am I Denver Denver International <laughs> Airport I'm exhausted because my flight landed at like gate B13 and my flight to Casper Wyoming leaves from gate B90 and Denver is a mm. very very long airport it to is. hike across but I've collected myself I'm sweating a little bit but I've caught my breath I'm ready <laughs> To do the podcast,
0: it's good exercise for you.
2: Yeah, I guess.
0: <laughs> and you're going to Wyoming again. That's you've been going out there a lot. It seems like
2: I know. I can't get out there enough. I love Wyoming. I love. I've I haven't spent much time, I guess, in the mountainy part of Wyoming. I've always been mm-hmm. on the eastern half, and I love it. I mean, it's just cow country out there. It's beautiful, lush green grasses, and um, you know, rolling plains hmm. Yeah. No, I'm that excited. That sounds pretty. It. Yeah. It's, I know, it's
0: gorgeous. I don't. Yeah. I haven't really been to Wyoming. I don't I don't think I've ever been to Wyoming, actually.
2: It's that's one you, of the few states
0: I haven't been to. If
2: you drew up like a mental picture of the most calming place in the world, you're picturing Wyoming <laughs> unless you're picturing. A well, beach, that's good. And it's not Wyoming.
0: Oh, no, I was picturing like a mountain with like a little river.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, probably, I'm probably Wyoming.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right.
2: All right. So, how, what's new in your world, Delaney? You got uh, anything for us? We just kick in straight to news. What are we doing?
0: I think we should kick it straight to the news. There's right. a lot of news to talk about today.
2: I hear you. And we Break have a pretty down.
0: long, a pretty good interview later.
2: That's right. It's it's long in a good sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All
2: right. What do you got for news?
0: Okay. Well, first up, I just wanted to give an update on the new USDA positions. It is uh, rumored that the American Soybean Association president. Steve Sensky, who has been offered the deputy agriculture secretary position, is likely to receive a formal announcement from the Trump administration. Probably tomorrow is what sources are saying, which will kick it off for this new uh, shakeup in the USDA.
2: Interesting. But now there are some folks that aren't real thrilled about the shakeup at the USDA. Is that right?
0: That is right. There's a group, a couple groups, about 14 to be exact, are coming to the White House and saying that we don't like this new decision to replace the USDA's Undersecretary for Rural Development. And they are asking that uh, the Senate, I think the Senate has to approve it, and they're asking that it not be approved.
2: Oh, interesting. So they don't want to lose that uh, that position.
0: That rural development position gotcha. yeah, that we talked about earlier, which would be, I think, like infrastructure and just bettering rural life.
2: Okay. And now I, my understanding was that was kind of the role that, well, allegedly, Iowa Secretary of Ag Bill Northey might be playing.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know all the fine-tuned details of what the differences are between all the positions. Okay. But that might be something we should look into, I guess, yeah. since we're running, you know, a news podcast
2: yeah, you know, I suppose we can <laughs> we can figure it out a little bit more. Get some deets, as the kids say.
0: Uh-huh. Do, do yeah, you I kids should, still I don't think say any that? kids say that. Okay. I don't think any kids say that.
2: Kids used to I'm say really it when I was anymore, a kid. I'm not really anymore
0: though, so I don't know. You
2: were born in 1994. You're just a little
0: little pup. <laughs> compared to you, but not as compared to actual children.
2: Well, that's true. All right, so that's there the There you talk
0: sh- about stuff and do stuff I don't understand.
2: I know. Snapchatting and so forth.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And they're probably doing stuff crazier than that today.
0: No kidding.
2: All right. So that's some news right there.
0: What news do you have,
2: Mike? (laughs) I don't have a whole lot. As I'm traveling today, I have not really been able to keep up to date on what is going on. I did see an article. This was reported in the Agribusiness Global Magazine. Uh, The FMC acquisition of DuPont's crop protection business. We're getting a little bit more information about how that's going to shape up. So FMC has been uh, described as under the radar. But uh, really, by making this purchase, they are going to kind of align themselves with the uh, biggest names in agriculture. So it's buying up DuPont's, according to the article, it's the quote, the crown jewel insecticides and cereal herbicides. But it's also picking up the pipeline, the pesticides and herbicides that are coming in the pipeline, and its R&D capabilities. So it's that research and development that they are really looking to get a hold of. And uh, they figure this is going to boost FMC, you know, pretty close to the top of the game.
0: Yeah, I bet it will. Let's see. In other news with the new administration, I'll just go to this story. Um, we still haven't received final confirmation on Iowa Governor Terry Branstead's ambassadorship, but he is moving one step closer because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on Monday that they've filed cloture for his confirmation, and the vote-ending debate will likely occur on Wednesday. Oh, um, and okay. It's, it's rumored, I mean, it's suspected, speculated that He's not going to have any problems with the final vote for confirmation.
2: Okay, and so Wednesday they'll do cloture, and then then it's just a vote.
0: Possibly the vote, yeah. Okay, yeah. So maybe as early as Wednesday.
2: Well, good. It'd be nice to start getting these moved forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Get the ball down the field, as the uh, yeah the sports people say.
0: Yeah, it. I was reading something earlier that said after four months of waiting, Robert Lighthizer was finally sworn into office on Monday. But four months that it took yeah. for that to go through.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's for crazy. some of the
0: biggest positions too, you know, agriculture, trade. Yeah. Ambassador to China. Yeah.
2: There's a dude outside on the tarmac, uh, <laughs> with green, with long green curly hair. It's pretty awesome.
0: Huh? You should take a picture of it afterward. After we finished today's I podcast, I should, but now, and... he's,
2: now he's wandered past. He was in a oh, hurry. He man. works out there. But uh, right. maybe that's something I had to do with the hair I've got left.
0: <laughs> diet green? Yeah,
2: permit and diet green. Let it grow out.
0: Okay. I bet that would look really good on Market to Market. I think it would. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Do do you have have, any other news? Just one little piece. We've got an update here on the West Mims Fire, which is that fire burning down on the uh, border of Florida and Georgia that says dry conditions are expected in South Georgia over the next few weeks. So this fire, which has been burning since April 6th, may be burning for some time into the future. So not great news down there for our listeners in uh, North Florida, South Georgia.
0: Hmm. I also have just one more quick story before we kick it off to the markets for today. Um, Canada is looking to take a much more aggressive role in addressing climate change. And with that, they are looking for opportunities or ways to reduce their carbon footprint. And so ethanol is on their minds, which is a good thing for... U.S. producers, obviously. They uh, have a goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And currently, Canada accepts one-third of all U.S. ethanol exports. So the article I'm reading says that the U.S. is not going to um, look to expand their markets as much as as we thought because now we're going to have a market with Canada, assuming that the renegotiations of NAFTA go well.
2: Gotcha. So one more factor for agriculture hinges mm-hmm. on those renegotiations. Yeah. Yeah. We
0: really should just sit down and like make a whole list of all of these things that hinge on the renegotiation of NAFTA because I bet the list would be pretty long.
2: Yeah, and it just gets longer and longer by the day.
0: I know it really does. Robert Lighthizer is gonna have a rough time with this as he's stepping into office here. Yeah. Why don't you read us today's closing market prices?
2: I would love to. We'll take a look here. Start in the corn. July contract was unchanged on the day, finished at 367 and three quarters. The December contract up a quarter penny, closed at 385 and a half. Big move to the upside in soybeans. The July contract 11 cents higher, finished the day at 976 and a quarter. The Novi bean contract up seven cents, finished at 967 and three quarters. Over in wheat, the July Chicago wheat contract up one penny, closed at 4.24 and a quarter. December wheat up three quarters of a cent, finished the day at 4.59 and a half. Looking down at livestock. Boy, another day in the red for cattle. The live cattle contract for the month of June dropped 55 cents, finished 121.90. The August contract also down fifty-five cents, closed the day at one eighteen twenty-five. Bigger drops to the downside in feeder cattle. The May contract down a dollar half closed at one forty ninety-five and a half. The August contract down one fifty seven and a half as well, finished at one forty seven seventy and i apologize i got distracted the fire department just pulled up in front of me here at the uh the denver airport that's not a great sign looking at a uh, little bit of weakness in the crude oil markets down 25 cents closed at 48.60 now delaney i talked about the wheat market there
0: finally mm-hmm. a little
2: bit of move to the upside one penny better than going the opposite direction right but i'm not done we're not done talking about wheat today are we
0: We're not. We are talking to the Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Wheat Associates, and he's really just going to break down the wheat market for us, what's going on internationally, in trade, supply and demand, but let's just kick it off to him. Joining us now is Steve Mercer, and he is the Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Wheat Association. Steve, tell us a little bit about your role with the U.S. Wheat Association association? Sure,
1: absolutely. Uh, you know, our, our organization has been around for, uh, boy, uh, over 50 years. We are the export market development organization for the wheat industry, so we represent uh, farmers. Uh, farmers are on our board, and then that qualifies us to apply for funds uh, from market development programs uh uh, administered by the USDA Foreign Ag Service. And in my role uh, as uh, Vice President of Communications, I really represent the organization uh, in the media uh, to tell our story. Uh, I work with uh, our state uh, commission member organizations to help them understand the work that uh, that we do uh, overseas in over 100 different countries. Uh, and I also support their work overseas as well with uh, with Wheat buyers uh, with uh, flour millers, end users, bakers, uh, cookie cracker manufacturers, etc.
2: Anything to help uh, grow the demand for U.S. wheat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And, you know, the uh, wheat is uh, the largest traded commodity in the world, uh, egg commodity in the world. Um, uh, We, as I mentioned, we work in over 100 different countries. We have offices in 15 countries, uh, either regional or Direct uh, service in country, and uh, we have about 60 staff overseas uh, that uh, really focus on promoting the quality, the value, and the versatility of the six different classes of U.S. wheat uh, that are that are produced uh, really across the country.
0: My uh, Steve, you sent me that world wheat and supply demand situation, so. Mm-hmm. Will you kind of just break that down for our listeners and tell us what the estimates are for 2017 and 18?
1: Yeah, I'll sure, try. It's uh it's quite a complex picture in many ways, but the real situation is uh, I guess the the bottom line is that for the last uh 3 or 4 years, um USDA has uh, estimated that you know wheat production has set new records. Uh, for three or four years in a row, which is really uh, quite unusual. Um, I think it indicates that uh, farming is getting more efficient. Uh, we certainly see more competition in the, from the Black Sea region, Russia, Ukraine, and that area the farmers are getting better. Uh, they've got more capital capital to do work, and so we see a lot of uh really good wheat production, the weather has certainly had a lot to do with that. So what we find ourselves in is a situation where uh, the world has an abundant supply of wheat. The picture is a little bit different when you really dig into it, but generally speaking, uh, the production of wheat has been extremely good in the last four years and uh, unfortunately that's reflected in the price to the farm. Uh, that demand, uh, demand for the wheat uh, actually has has increased right along with production but production has uh, uh, been higher than demand over the last four or five years so that's why we're seeing this uh, price depression it's very interesting because wheat production is generally located in sort of the temperate regions, so above and below the equator if you look at uh, the world map it's the united states canada europe Uh, Russia, Ukraine, uh, in that area, and into China, and then in the southern hemisphere, Australia, a little bit of Africa, but also Brazil and Argentina. Uh, But what we see is the demand growing in those equatorial regions where population is increasing, and in Asia and uh, Latin America where population and Uh, disposable income is also growing so wheat trade is very important for the world and um, so that's a big part of this picture as well Uh, again I go back to consumption it's growing Uh, we're going to see that continue so uh, the US has been a large part of that trade Uh, in terms of volume for many years we've actually led the world in a single country exporting wheat that has changed uh, recently in terms of volume uh, Russia in the Black Sea region uh, has gained significant footholds in the Middle East, regions where there's a high wheat consumption, but the price needs to be cheaper for those countries uh, because a lot of that wheat is going for uh, feeding the people, and so the demand for higher quality wheat is not not so much there so they're doing a very good job logistically they're closer closer to those markets as well
2: you've talked about china a couple times and looking at the world uh-huh. ending stocks we've seen chinese ending stocks not quite almost double in the past five years is that a function of china legitimately raising more wheat or are they stockpiling it like they've uh, like they've done with cotton and corn and uh, some other commodities <laughs> a little of both okay uh, so
1: yeah china is very influential in the market they're not an exporting country, though. Uh, the wheat that they produce, uh, and uh, they they keep it there. So, really, what's happening is uh, China has made a the government has made a decision to be self-sufficient as much as possible in wheat, uh, and so they have provided an incentive to their growers. I mean, government buys wheat for nine dollars and fifty cents a Jeez. bushel. Mm. It, a huge incentive to grow wheat it doesn't matter they're going to they're going to grow it uh, if they if they can do it and as a result the production has been very high of course you helped by good weather etc um but that wheat is not going to go anywhere so according to usda the latest estimate china currently is going to hold 43 percent of the world's wheat stocks at the end of this marketing year which ends just in a couple weeks end of may
2: Wow,
1: And we look out to the future, they predict that their their consumption is going to go down inside the country, less feeding because they've had a good corn crop. Their production it's actually going to raise their percent of world wheat stocks to almost 50%. Mm. It's a huge impact and it's having a, a huge impact on a return to farmers, not just U.S. farmers, but wheat farmers the world over outside of China. Uh, And that is why USTR, U.S. Trade Representative, last year uh, brought a case against China at the World Trade Organization. As part of their entry into the World Trade Organization, China agreed to not – well, they have a limit on the amount of uh, subsidies that they can provide. And that kind of production, that kind of subsidy far outweighs the the limits that they agreed to. And so as a result – uh, the U.S. has brought a case against China, not only for uh, wheat, but also for corn and rice as well.
0: Steve, I had one more question in regards to that um, that uh, PDF that you sent. It says that uh, we're down 1% in consumption from 2016-17. Can you put that in perspective?
1: Well, yeah, I think the the situation, you know, it's wheat is very, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting crop. It's very fungible. It could move around. But, you know, if the if the production goes up and the price falls it's not as elastic as some commodities in other words consumption of wheat is not necessarily going to go up all that much as the prices come down i think we've seen that happen and and as a result it's going to take some supply shocks before we see this this production level come down in the world china certainly (laughs) is going to take a long time to see that that move out but but generally speaking the farmers around the world are responding to the market signals and uh, you know they're planting less wheat as a result they've had good weather so the production has been the same or or higher uh, but they're definitely planting less wheat around the world and that's Certainly true in the United States. I mean, yeah,
2: lowest wheat uh, acres winter wheat. since nineteen oh nine, right on winter wheat acreage. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. It's and down twenty five percent from last year, well, which was ten percent down from last year, but with production uh, this year potentially being lower because of weather. I mean, the the production of winter wheat, hard winter wheat, which is essentially bread wheat, could be down twenty five percent. But is it going to make a big difference? Probably not. Yeah, that's uh, because of the thing. global supplies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to ask you, going back to uh, your list of duties, there, Steve. You mentioned you work a lot with the media, and uh, Delaney and I were at the National uh, Farm Broadcasters Association meeting, and uh, Secretary Vilsack spoke. He said one of his biggest regrets is that he was unable to help the media understand agriculture. What's your perspective when you talk to to journalists? How do they approach a, a huge topic like the wheat market? And and let's just talk about this country. How do they feel about it? What's the general sense you get about their knowledge base? Well, you know, I think if you're talking
1: about uh, general uh, media, this is a topic that they're probably not going to be as familiar with. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't think you can expect a great deal of knowledge. I mean, not not comparing to the to the farm media and. Media that covers commodity markets, etc., like like Reuters and Bloomberg and others. You know, on a personal feeling, my personal feeling is they're going to be somewhat more vulnerable to those folks who have an axe to grind with agriculture uh, and the uh, and the the type of production that uh, economically works in this country. Um, and so it's a challenge. And so, you know, we've heard over and over again that uh, the only way to overcome that that potential bias, if you will, or that lack of of objective understanding, is to really have farmers get out and tell their own story. Uh, Talk about the fact that they are small businesses, that they do employ people, that they are trying to do the best they can for their family, and looking ahead to how do we produce more and better crops, more and better wheat, uh, in ways that are better for the environment, and more sustainable for our own family and we want to pass that farm down so um, it is about telling the farmers individual stories Um, that's a challenge because those stories aren't necessarily related to the kind of uh, conflict and other things that sort of attract those general media but you know i think there is uh, uh, farmers today are very much aware of that and i think they're they're trying very hard to engage in you know, when we have the chance to do that, we certainly do. We stand up for agriculture. I think the the situation a couple of weeks ago where the president uh, indicated that he was thinking about withdrawing from NAFTA, a number of organizations like ours uh, made the point that we can see why renegotiation is necessary. There are things about this agreement that we agree could be changed, but withdrawing right now would be a huge uh, problem for most uh, farmers ranchers dairymen and uh, uh,
2: small businesses in rural areas yeah and i think we helped make a difference that's true mm-hmm. he uh, he kind of changed his changed his tune a little bit and uh we heard from sunny purdue that they are getting the message yeah. across that uh yeah. agriculture needs NAFTA, and we need these markets on the north and south of us yes absolutely i think uh that office uh, uh is doing a terrific job right now
0: Well, now, when you mentioned trade and exports and all that, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the ag exports count, because until you had brought it up to me, I honestly hadn't didn't know a lot about this organization. So what is it exactly that they do? Is it just facilitating relationships for trade?
1: Well, you know, uh, there are a number of organizations like ours that are participants in these export market development programs that are administered by the Foreign Ag Service, uh, specifically the two biggest programs are the Market Access Program, or MAP, and mm-hmm. the Foreign Market Development Program, or FMD. And uh, these programs have been around for years and years and years have been extremely successful. Now, in a budget environment like we have, uh, with unless we tell the story of how successful these programs have been and the fact that uh, the value of those programs to organizations like ours is actually eroding because of uh, inflation, because of uh, sequestration, which takes money away with uh, administrative costs. What we're seeing is more and more organizations wanting to participate and the value of the fixed uh, appropriated amounts uh, uh, creating a problem, uh, reducing the value of those programs. Um, We've certainly seen our funding uh, go down, uh, even though our farmers are giving more. So um, at one point uh, 10 years ago, wheat farmers would get $3 in federal funds from export market development for every dollar they put in now it's less than $2 and so there's a limit to what farmers can do and they have done more and more but there's a limit and so what uh, what these organizations have done is put together a website agexportscount.org and it really tells the story of the success of Uh, the MAP and FMD programs, the situation that those programs are in and that these organizations are in. We also tell the story that our competitors are spending more and more every year, in fact much more than the United States is, to help support uh, using public funds to help support uh, ag export market development. So it's a very good resource to help learn about how successful these programs have been and then to learn more about why we feel the programs need to be uh, see an increase in funding.
0: On a on a very local level, what impact does ag exports count have on just like a general wheat farmer?
1: Well, uh, we've done our studies ourselves uh, of the impact, the econometric impact of of uh, wheat exports, and uh, it was determined this was a study done by economists at uh, Cornell that for every dollar that farmers put into Export market development uh, that allows us to increase those dollars from the the federal government actually returns $45 back in in net income to the farm because Mm. of the increased demand. That increased demand increases the value, of course, and the price. So it's a hugely successful approach to export market development. Um, You know, farmers. Uh, as I mentioned, they, they've really stepped up and put in a lot of funds, but they just can't put enough in to help us compete in over, a number of overseas markets where we need to. Um, and it's been a successful program, there's no doubt. One Another way to look at that was uh, in 2014 when the study was done, U.S. wheat exports were actually 22% greater than they would have been without the programs. That's what the study showed. Wow. And we're seeing a similar, yeah, we're seeing a similar kind of uh, impact in the broader approach. Uh, In fact, MAP and FMD since 1997, uh, between 97 and uh, 2014, actually accounted for 15% of the entire value of U.S. ag exports, so 300 billion dollars, and programs are fixed cost at 234.5 million dollars a year so it's a huge impact billions yeah. of dollars a year
2: that is a huge impact and it's an impact we need yeah. i think more than ever given uh you know wheat prices down at 424.30, we've got to find buyers and uh, get mm-hmm. the most bang for our buck that we can out there well mm-hmm. absolutely right absolutely right when you look at at the
1: change in consumption overseas we look very closely at asia especially southeast asia and latin america you know where you've got a huge number of people that are increasing spending Uh, they have more money to spend they're moving to the cities Uh, they're looking for different kinds of food western diets are increasing and that is really good for u.s producers because we produce the kind of wheat that's needed for flour for those kind of products and you know we can compete really well there and that's completely changing i mean you look at latin america alone in the next 30 years we're going to add another united states population 300 million more people in latin america alone in the next 30 years so just in just on the number of individuals alone you know the demand for wheat is going to go up and uh, we you know we look at the entire region Latin America Southeast Asia similar kinds of situation Um, and so you know we're going to need more wheat uh, in the world in the future and you know we see we do see that demand increasing and so you know we're hopeful for the future but uh, you know right now it's a challenge uh, and uh, we'll see I mean it all depends really on weather uh, in terms of the supply situation, and and we've seen it before, boy. Back in, uh, in 2007, um, when wheat prices shot up because of uh, supply was so low. I mean, we've seen it. You know, we had four years, actually six out of the prior 10 years, in which production fell below
2: consumption. Yeah, and, uh, we'll see that again in you the bet. future. You bet. And Steve, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're hopeful. But there are some challenges. And as you look at the growing middle class, as we look around the world, wheat is going to be hugely important. And I think we just want to thank you so much for taking the time to fill us in a little bit on what's happening globally and uh, how that impacts U.S. wheat producers. So thanks so much.
1: Well, we really appreciate the opportunity. And, and I can't say enough about uh, the the effort that farmers have made over the years to help support the work that we do. I mean, it's really, it's up to them. Without them, we couldn't be out there representing them in all these markets, and they've just done a wonderful job. And these programs have worked really hard, and uh, uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it.
2: All right, well, that was Steve Mercer from the U.S. Wheat Associates, again, their vice president of communications, really bringing some knowledge to bear on the wheat market, as he said he represents, or U.S. Wheat Associates represents all six classes of U.S. wheat, so they've got their fingers in nearly everything to do with that market. I thought it was a good discussion. Delaney, did you learn anything?
0: Yeah, I really liked his comments about the media outside of agriculture not really knowing a lot about wheat, because even in the ag industry, I don't really know that much about wheat because I've had pretty limited experience with it in the in the Midwest, you know, in Iowa specifically.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's Iowa specifically. We are one of the few Midwestern states that really doesn't that, grow yeah. any measurable wheat at all. Mm-hmm. We've just got our corn and beans.
0: The only experience I really had with wheat is one summer I interned for Bungie. And I remember I had to do vomitoxin tests on wheat, which is basically it's a disease and you would test it. And that year it was, like, running rampant, so we would dock people, like, 50 cents to a dollar off of their bushels, and that's really the only experience I remember having with it. So
2: you were just making producers smile, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I sure was.
2: Boy, howdy, this all right. These little
0: interns docking me all this money. Yeah,
2: yeah. Gosh, well, tomorrow it sounds like we're going to be talking to a voice for agriculture, one of the more well-known voices for agriculture, Max Armstrong from This Week in Agribusiness will be joining us. We'll get his thoughts on what's going on in the world. He talks to a lot of producers all across the country, so we'll get his thoughts. And then uh, we've just got a fun week planned, don't we, Delaney?
0: We sure do, Mike. It's always a surprise with us, isn't it? Especially when you're planning the interviews for the week.
2: It sure is. Seat of the pants. That's the way to go. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, folks, I uh, really encourage all of you to subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And do stay tuned for that website, which should be going live this week. And anything I'm forgetting, Delaney.
0: I think that all sounds good, Mike. Should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.